Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. They're all here. The divas, princes, and living legends you should be obsessed with. Sitting down with me. I'm David Goldberg. These are the Luminaries. This time, the downtown legend, actress, and comedian Ruby McAllister returns to share insight on art and isolation. This was a pure pleasure for me, and I hope you enjoy. Really constantly. Um, well, uh, doing like house decoration stuff. And there's like a lot of room here. So I'm just sort of, I don't know. I feel it's like this crazy feeling where it's like, I feel like I haven't submitted to this feeling yet and I feel like everything like leaving or going somewhere else or even going to my mom's or it's like I feel like I need uh to get a little more sub submissive and submitting to this world rather than like Cause I'm just, I'm just realizing like how often I'm reacting to everything. And so mm. everything is just like a constant state of like trying to figure out a solution. Whereas like, I think finally, finally, finally the past few days I'm like, Oh yeah, this is what's happening. <laughs> this is absolutely what's happening you're fine. Uh, I'm, you're, you're safe. You have an apartment that you're inspired by. We like have these like huge work tables and I'm like sewing all the time. And we like <laughs> painted our living room and we have this cute little living room now. And then it's like now the apartment's like perfect. And I'm sort of like, why would I leave suddenly just because I'm like, feeling squirmish it's like you I have the opportunity to um mm -mm. sorry one second I'm gonna take a vitamin um mm -mm -mm. I have the opportunity to uh just be in a space and it's like obviously totally complicated and fraught and sometimes you know anxiety inducing but I'd rather be here right now than at my friend's mansion in New Hampshire or like at 
my mom's house, quite honestly. Just because it's like I was just fighting for a space for so long. And now that I have it and I just have the opportunity to be in it. And it's but it's been so I'm such a brat, you know, I'm such like a fundamental brat that like it took it was just so long of thrashing around, you know, I was so long. Yeah. The reactivity. I was thinking about being reactive this morning. Um, and I was thinking about how like exhausted I am of it because I, maybe this is like a code switching thing or a people pleasing thing, but I feel like all I do is not just react, but I feel like I have to take responsibility for everyone in the world. And I have to like be, I have to be reacting in real time so that I can like handle any situation and control it. And I can't um, really do that. I, I have, I'm just, that's not possible. That delusion is not possible anymore and it can't be sustained. And I'm just kind of dropping that. Like the world does not need my reaction to anything. Yeah. I mean, I also think, I guess I don't feel like that as much I think I'm just I guess yeah I maybe I understand what do you mean like the world doesn't need your reaction like me I don't it, I don't know like what you were just saying earlier like you're fine you're saying if you have a place enough mm-hmm. I guess I've kind of well I felt that in a major way which is like I just kind of need to be silence of where I am and I don't right worrying about this like anything that is not in my immediate space totally um, yeah because that's what that's, I'm programmed yeah. to be doing and it actually is not useful right now it probably has never been useful but I just think it's like not yeah I also feel I totally feel that and I also feel like And I'm sorry for like completely just going in with such seriousness, (laughs) but, um, but I also think like, just like the question so often is like, you know, what is the world going to be like after this? Like, will we ever recover all of that? And like, that is fine and good. It's just the matter of, and like thinking about it, is real and totally valid. However, all I'm realizing is that like, if the rest of this moment and like the future of America primarily is like so fucking awful and dystopian, I might as well like appreciate. uh, And this sounds fucked up but it's like I I just you you might as well like be with all your pretty things and be inspired by them and just do what you want because it's just not I don't know it's like maybe it will get easier and it maybe won't get easier so it's like and like I think like all of the question of like art is so important now like art's gonna rock and roll like I don't think I don't think art is really going to be that unifying because I think what's going on is like we're just 
going deeper and deeper into like highly nuanced emotions and highly personal narratives. It's not, I I mean, which isn't a bad thing. I'm just, and I think that that's the type of art I like, but it's, I don't think, I think the real importance of art is the fact that like, if you make it, and I think this is like really the, the question of capitalism right now, as we are seeing it, uh, totally dissolve <laughs> and fail. turn and fail. And like the only answer is like fascism, I guess. And as we're seeing this just collapse and surrender and halt, right. The, the question is, is like, yeah, there's pro- the art market probably is, all markets are hit by this and the question of the importance or the relevance of what you're doing right now is totally valid but like we are forgetting the actual fundamental grace that is afforded to you by making something you're involved in and we're 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 missing at least I was for so long understanding that like if I focus on something and do something without any idea of monetary reward or uh, a claim that's that's a practice do you know we all have just an opportunity to have a practice I think which is like maybe the practice is like waking up and drawing for a second and just not feeling suicidal but it's you know it's I think this is really really puncturing all of our programming of capitalism in such a fucking insane way. Like it's you know, just was- so, so reprogramming before. I don't want to like, I don't want to like, I really, really don't want to suggest that everybody should have a practice or everybody should be doing anything. All I'm saying, cause I, I, I fundamentally think that is so nauseating. However, I'm just saying like, I, I, I'm I'm just I'm finding and I don't do much at all. I actually don't I literally don't do anything. Um but I'm like, you know, staying up till like five in the morning, like reading essays about like Mark Fisher and <laughs> like watching <laughs> Britpop documentaries and like thinking about Jarvis Cocker all the time. But that's but that's my practice. That's what I'm doing. I'm focusing on something. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm just like, oh, this is, these are the things that I like. And um, it feels spiritual somehow. <laughs> it feels really fundamentally you spiritual. Are, you're yeah. really putting into words what I've been going through the last few weeks, which yeah. is like, I felt, um, Basically, I've been experiencing incredible fatigue and weariness, and I'm noticing what is possible that I can do that does not exacerbate it. And what I've noticed are working on things that I can tinker on that are, for me, fun, silly, and have no real end game. So like writing notes for my fantasy novel that no one will ever read 
working on a stupid screenplay that I just like giggle while I'm writing, but that is not meant to have any sort of this will do this for my career. This will be seen by this person. This will be shopped to this place. And I have had to really like while being supine in bed and weak, like an old woman, like in a consumption hospital, I've had to really say, what do I want to do? Like as practice, as peace that brings me pleasure right now, that is not attached to um, this like race that we've all been in and this like meat market that we've all elected to stay in. And yeah, I mean, and it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, I like think it's so, huge. it's it's huge, but it's totally huge. And I think like the, the race, like, even though like in an ideal world and an ideal circumstance, the race, we would just be like out of that game entirely, but that's not true. And I don't think anybody is. And But I think we have the opportunity to like really, uh, oh my God, this sounds so, I, fu- I fucking hate everything I'm saying, but I, uh, I think we have the opportunity to be more authentic and like a little more uh, honest with like our interests and, and desires and skills and i think Uh, we can just that's all i'm gonna say about that i guess just because yeah that that's all i feel is just like oh like um it's just all of the delusional ways of thinking i i I think i'm just experiencing like such a tabla rasa on like what actually is going on emotionally and like I find that this is like such an amazing experiment of reality and deception and perception because like I'm like realizing so many aspects of my psychology just like laying them out like I can see my behaviors very clearly in a more clear way right now um and I'm also like realizing that a lot of my like preconceptions about the world before this and like how I placed in it or the negative or positive uh, feelings I had about myself. um, I'm like realizing like what was true and what wasn't like so intensely. I'm just, I'm fully like, Oh, that paranoia that I had for like a year and a half, that was completely accurate. That happened. Um, And then, like, or, like, oh, my God, something as simple as, like, oh, my God, like, you didn't realize you had this when you had it. Mm. And then it left. It's, like, it's, like, there's this sort of, like, amazing ability to see a more, I don't know, like, I'm just seeing all of the narratives and all of how I held myself back before this, like truly what my feelings about myself were. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's like sort of an amazing, I'm feeling like a little romantic about this whole experience 
today. Um, Cause it's like stormy in New York and like, I don't I know. know. It's this you kind know. of twilight moment. I, these days have been the most interesting cause it, it feels like I'm not really awake or asleep. When it's rainy like this, yeah. I feel like I'm, like, in the nether dimension. Yeah, I feel, like, so connected to my anglophilia currently, yes. like, more than ever, that, like, a day like this, I feel like, um... Every day is like Sunday. Yeah, like, yeah, I feel, like, really connected <laughs> to my, <laughs> my anglo, um my anglo idols like, <laughs> to my like full like fantasy world yeah no the british shit is so 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 intense right now um for me <laughs> it's constant it's chronic it's the only thing i'm invested in it's crazy it's crazy how much of a nerd i am and how like <laughs> how like uncool my interests are. It's just like it's it's really I'm only interested in uh, yeah <laughs> like the four British bands I was already listening to before this. So, but there is I mean we've talked about this, but there is pretty much all of the icons we love do have this kind of even like Grant Morrison is like yeah. We grew up poor. Dad was on the dole. Sometimes yeah. we didn't have food. And that's yeah. that. Which yeah. obviously there's like the heroic kind of like survival narrative. And of course, like there's the Jewish version of that. But the British, it's more, I don't want to say they're more chill with it, but there's more of this aspect of like, okay, it's, things are disgusting and let's just like go make a collage. Yeah, there's like, well, the thing about England, and this is also something I'm like chronically talking about on the phone, like this is like Ruby's hot take of quarantine is like, this is the opportunity that America and like maybe largely, you know, by and large white America or America of a certain class. Well, no, uh, is like bottom line Europe the continent of Europe and I will actually like against you know Boris Johnson's wishes I will throw England into that uh category is um there um, Europe is going to be totally fine from this <laughs> and I they were built to sustain this. Uh, countries like Greece might be a little fucked over or like Turkey might be a little fucked over, but like by and large, the European countries, like, and again, Italy will be a really fascinating sort of rediscovering of what that will be like because their government is also a little fucked up. However, um, yeah, Europe was bombed repeatedly the first 50 years of the 20th century. These gorgeous, sacred, you know, like, um, tourist attractions, not even tourist attractions, these, like, these cities, these cities that were, were cultural, um, empirical yeah. yeah monuments of the first world 
were repeatedly desecrated for 50 years, which brought, obviously, after First World War fascism, but also then subsequently after World War II, brought a a sort of a a non-negotiable federal structure to prevent a complete collapse, a complete shutdown like that ever again, because they were bombed. Like the NHS was, the NHS in England was actually just the only reason the NHS exists is because London was blitzkrieged in World War II. So once it got to that level of like the empire has been desecrated by bombs, you know what I mean? That's when they were like, oh, we need, we need, uh, we need national health care because, you know, the poverty line grew exponentially after World War II in England. And England after World War II is such a fascinating, fascinating, fascinating 10 year period of time before the rejuvenation of England in the 60s. Very weird. Very fascinating. The, the new Elizabeth, Elizabethan era, yeah. Yeah, and like, and just figuring and out there's this episode their identity. Of yeah, oh my God, Call the Midwife, period, mm-hmm. is like... Um, Call the Midwife, but there's an episode where like, they can't do a delivery in Poplar because they found these this like, street that has inactive minds or no active minds yeah that yeah, have been yeah. forgotten during the war and like right. what if the mines explode like right. it's yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's such yeah, yeah. an interesting convergence where like they're not able to deny what has happened and what totally happen like they totally. actually do have to build for it and it's like since america has lived on, more or less um, in this like hyper normalization to borrow a term from Adam Curtis, also genius British person, um, you know, we've lived more or less in a state of hyper normalization since World War II in terms of like, obviously 9-11 was a fundamental break in that hypernormalization. However, and also like the myriad of assassinations that happened in the 60s, that also is a break of hypernormalization. But for the most part, America has gaslit chronically its citizens into continuously to invest in normalcy, to continuously invest to what you're experiencing is normal. What's happening is normal. It's okay. And this is how society functions. Whether that is like really poor people trying to achieve the ever, you know, ever abstracting ladder of the American dream and pull them their way out of a class system or, you know, or whether it's like single pay payer healthcare is, you know, like whether the debate about healthcare, the, the fact that we're having a debate about healthcare period is a perfect example of how America has managed to keep its citizens like, no, this is complete. Do you, don't you understand that if, if we stop doing what we're doing, your reality will break. That's the, that's the constant threat is like, don't you realize that if we stop this 
economy, economic structure, if we stop bailing out airlines and banks, if we stop, if we do give you $2,000 a month rather than $1,000 once, if we do, you know, that will tear the fundamental, uh, your fundamental reality. That's what the American government is constantly holding over the American people's heads since World War II. And obviously there's been breaks of that of the American people believing the media, believing politicians. I was just talking about JFK like minutes before I called you and how, you know, JFK's assassination was really that rupture of the American people being like, wait, there's, they're not telling us the truth. Suddenly this doesn't, that suddenly it feels like the media is not really giving us the whole story. You know what I mean? But and that's- suddenly that suddenly that gives birth to the idea of conspiracy. You know what I mean? It's like because we can't that no, that's conspiracy. Your parano- your paranoia is conspiracy. The the threat of America is constantly trying to keep the sense of normalcy. Whereas Europe has not has been desecrated multiple times. Their understanding of normalcy is completely different. And therefore their standard, their standard of living is automatically higher because they know how bad it can get. They know how bad it can get. And the government affirms their paranoia. They go, yeah, a fascist state could rise up (laughs) or our economy could collapse beyond repair. There could be revolts. Yes, this is all real. This, yes, this is totally real. Not saying that like the governments, governments in Europe don't suppress their citizens in some way because I'm sure they do. But um, do you know what I mean? It's just like we're going yeah. as Americans. We're just we are becoming Europeans. This is what is happening. We're in our European transformation. That's how I've been thinking a lot about um, a lot of people I know who have maybe office jobs who are now doing those office jobs at home. Yeah. I'm hearing a lot and I don't mean to sound snide as like a freelance artist server. And I'm like so liberated, but I'm hearing a lot of from them, this sense of like, I don't know what time is anymore. Time is a, time doesn't feel real. And what I want to say is like, time wasn't real. Like yeah. none of this is real. Like you, we, we have all um, signed on to a structure of either labor or whatever that um, isn't set in stone. I mean, even I think about schooling, no one really knows what schooling is. We just know that we put children into a building for a certain amount of hours a week and we put ourselves into other buildings for a certain amount amount of hours every week. And most of us just blindly accept that. And this moment, people are having to wonder, like, is this bullshit? And of course, our whole corpocracy is going to have to double down and say, no, this is not bullshit. This is essential. And you want this and you like this. Right. I mean, but that's the thing is that I, because of this, like, liber liber like this fucking idea of freedom and liberty uh the values of americans we don't have them. we don't that's no. why that's that is actually the threat 
is like after the 60s, the values of Americans change so fundamentally um, that it's like a, a place like France has such an intense cultural heritage that is brand. It's like American culture. We can, no one can define it. No one no. can define <laughs> American culture. That's why it's so because it's just capital. Fucking There's psycho. no culture. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is culture. There is culture. Culture exists yes. everywhere. There's no yes. lack of culture. There's just um, less vibrant cultures. And I think America has an incredibly vibrant culture. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not dying. I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm just saying the values aren't like etched in to our understanding as citizens because there are so many a there are so many different types of cultures that blend into american cultures and i don't think we've and politically especially after the 60s again after the 60s politically uh there was no fucking thought in any american's mind below a certain uh poverty bracket that the government was there to help them mm. that the government would provide for them that do you know what i mean and there and in that since the american government began actively lying to its citizens we have um totally uh we don't know who we are that's what I'm saying. It's like there's no there's no identity when we're fundamentally uh fully mistrusting each other. There's no there is no identity in that. And that's why American culture is schizophrenic. It's why it's not to be like you know vaguely referencing Deleuze here, but it's like we're a schizophrenic capitalist culture. And that's why it's exciting. That's why fucking psycho things can happen. But on a valued level, on values, we don't know what those are. We just know we don't like hyper-intellectualism, nor do we, that's it, you know? That's like, we just don't want to be like annoying. We want it. Yeah, Americans are invested in like realism in a bizarre way, but I, but that's just from an observational standpoint. But, but um, isn't that realism based on this like distorted Batman narrative of like the world is ruthless and yeah, I'm the hustler yeah, who's gonna make yeah. it on my own? Yeah, I guess like the hustling thing is very American across every cultural and socioeconomic. So I guess that is American value is hustling. And as we yeah. have learned yeah. and yeah. are learning yeah. once again, yeah. it's gibberish. Well, it's not. What do you mean it's gibberish? It's not gibberish. It's completely real. It's um, it's the only way to survive in this country. But it's not. Um, it's not like a real. It's not like a sustainable, viable thing to commit to. It's like this thing you have to do. But it's not like a standard or a value worth um celebrating i mean wasn't that the point of like parasite
I mean, to me, that's the point because, of everything. That's right. Happened. No, no, no. You're right. No, I'm just, I'm just thinking about, sorry that this is like, do we have to like re-record this? Cause this is like so abstract and we're like really. No, this not, is amazing. But we're not even like referencing sources. Like I feel <laughs> whatever. This is like sort of a psycho, sort of a psycho conversation. Um, but my question is, uh, celebration is hustling worth celebration I, I'm I'm curious about what you mean by that I just feel like or like how did you see it in Parasite because it's like I don't think that's necessarily I, I think that's a very in, are you saying that in Parasite at the end of Parasite <laughs> that's so funny uh, that like um, we're like, it, it was, like, all for nothing. Well, it's just, like, there's, okay, whatever the American dream is, which is, like, yeah. you can make it yourself. you got to hustle your way to the top no matter what it takes. Uh, the world is not going to provide for you. No one's going to give you opportunities. You have to take them yourself. Um, no one, anyone, if, if you receive any help, uh, you're, like, you're, like, a freeloader or whatever. And it's all about the hustle and it's like, and you know, more money, more money and, and that. And it's like, okay, that doesn't really amount to anything. And it also, to me, I mean, I always talk about this, but I feel like it gives men especially, and I'm thinking about my brother who is like a total survivalist. This like, I am Batman. The system is broken, but I'm going to like take care of myself and I'm going to do it alone attitude, which is like, not the point of society like isn't the point of society and maybe this is because i've i want to talk about star trek with you but it's like yeah yeah isn't the point that we like all build something together that takes care of everyone and, and allows to bring out the best in everyone right i mean i think that that vigilante attitude I think also is fundamentally American. I think the vigilante was an American conceit and, um, and was born out of the enlightenment, especially. I'm just shocked that, anyway, that's completely tangential. Um, (laughs) no, uh, and yeah, and the vigilante is like simultaneous to the hustler. So yeah, I guess like <laughs> that is the value of Americans. It's like we we're so invested in the hero narrative here. It's so crazy. And like also that's what I like going back to my, that's what I like about British culture is that no one is fooling themselves in British culture. It's just like, no, I'm not a fucking hero. I'm an artist or it's like, uh, or it's like, yeah, like I got to be a rock star and I was on the dole all of the eighties and people spit at me during like a Thatcher (laughs) eighties, but it's like, no, I'm not a fucking I didn't do anything. There's no misconception. There's no grandiosity. There's no self uh, delusion. There's just you know what no self delusion, which I'm like, 
that's what I find so fucking refreshing. And it's like, oh, all of this music I've been listening to since I was like 12. And it's so embarrassing that like my taste hasn't changed. Basically, it's like, you know, like listening to like punk, you know, like cleaners from Venus and like the fall or whatever. It's like punk bands from the 80s and 90s in England. It's like their whole thing is like, there's nothing to do. There's nothing to succeed at. I'm in my room and I feel anguish. And it's like, that's why, that's why you listen to that shit when you're a teenager. But it's like, they're speaking to a lot. Suddenly the consciousness of British culture just is like, oh my God, you're speaking to such a larger problem. You're speaking to a a decimated future. You're speaking Mm. to, you don't have anything to hope for because the future is there is no future. That's the also that was like the that was like the the bell toll of the punk movement with Malcolm McLaren and Vivian Westwood. And Vivian Westwood. Which, I just watched that documentary. Which are, you know, really you know, that the the whole idea beneath English punk music in that moment was that they had no future, that we were kids without futures. That was the whole motto, was that this is now, this is miserable, we're going to make the best of it, and no future. There's no future. And it's like, Americans could never swallow that pill. No. The Americans never could swallow that pill. To an extent, like black communities definitely did, but the the hero and the hustler mentality that permeates every aspect of American life doesn't can't you truly cannot surrender. Um and therefore you we miss an opportunity to uh envision a real future yeah you know one of my biggest pet peeves Mm -hmm. is i hate when people say this whenever someone like does something and they say like you know i'm doing this so that like the little gay boy um in in the midwest can see this and have a bit of hope or what you know like that really like old old cliche of like i'm doing this for like I'm releasing this album for like little girls. Yes. Yeah. No British person would ever. ever, That would never come out of any. Because British people, again, back to what we were saying at the beginning are like, I am just in my bedroom. It's raining and the atom. There's nothing else to do. And I want to make a collage. And that's the art I make. And that's what I'm saying is like, back to like the convoluted thing I said at the beginning of this fucking conversation of just like practice for practice sake. And I'm like, Oh God, shoot me. I sound like every fucking horrible professor I had at liberal arts. School no, is, I'm getting um, it too. no, but it's, but now, but that's what I mean is like, if you just surrender to no future, you can finally as an American completely let go of the hero narrative. And that is so cool if we can just get rid of that we could maybe make really i don't know maybe we could finally make shit we wanted to make or i don't even know what i don't want that's an american thing for me to say anyway do you know what i mean it's like i don't know what could happen but i know 
that we need to let go of the hero narrative that I'm like so fucking sick of the Jesus story. I'm so sick <laughs> of the Jesus story, you know, and, and the, and it's like, yes. yeah, Jesus died for our sins, but that doesn't mean that this man died for us to replicate chronically his narrative in minute micro ways until the end of time. It's like, it's like, no, it's like, what have we been doing? <laughs> That's what I feel is the Jesus, the ever permeating Jesus narrative is, is like, I just can't, I just can't. I'm so sick of it. Um, and that is also why, um, if we do want to transition to this part of the conversation, and that is why Star Trek is like the only thing anybody should be watching during quarantine. <laughs> I feel like I was given a gift because I, the minute quarantine started, I started watching it. I've never really um, watched the shows before. And I completely, I was like, oh, there's so much to be excited about because this is like, it's the only model for humanity. And it's like the only it's this idea of just like total service um, and there are no like heroic deeds or accomplishments that define any of the characters. They're just like, well, for those, yeah. Well, for those of the listeners hypothetically that don't <laughs> know anything about Star Trek, uh, Star Trek is this sci-fi and it's like, again, like, I, I, and I'm like gonna like shoot somebody, <laughs> me threatening to shoot somebody. Um, anytime I recommend that to people, they're like, LOL, I would never watch that. And it's like, wait, are you actually blind, deaf, and dumb? It's, uh, yeah, cool. because, because sci fi is like obviously so, um, like loaded. It's such a loaded situation. And I find that like people, this is also something. I think like very hungover from Obama era ideas is like, I find that people really think that they're actually, I don't watch sci-fi. I just watch like these dystopian narratives of how the world <sighs> will come to like fascism and stuff. And it's like, that doesn't make you more intelligent. That does not make you more interesting. It actually just like limits your idea of the future. And like famously Ursula Le Guin before she passed at the sci-fi conventions urged science fiction writers to write narratives about possible futures without capitalism um, that yes. weren't dystopian, but hopeful. And if you really get and into- And that didn't involve one brave American- uh, yeah, wandering yeah, yeah. the the post-apocalyptic yeah, streets, there's no, like, surviving white. for himself and his family. Oh, like right, enough, right. enough, enough. Okay, right. So it's like Sorry, Ursula Le Guin, like, or er, right, urged her community to like get out of this like ratchet hell because, like, as we know, as we all fucking know, like. You know, we write our futures by consume. You know, like media <laughs> makes uh, makes the images up in individuals' heads. Blah blah blah. The more that we envision horrible futures, the likelihood of that happening actually just increases. And uh, we need the only way to move forward in the world is if we have an expansive imagination and the ability 
to envision a future. Again, this is a thing that is a very passionate, I've been very passionate about this subject for many years. And I started a radio show two years, um, around two years ago that like now happens twice a month, but used to just happen infrequently called Church of World Peace. Uh, because I was like so appalled, like after Trump, uh, was elected that the most popular television show is fucking Handmaid's Tale. And I was like, oh, this is uh, totally awful and so unimaginative and is so pseudo-intellectual and purely there for people to get scared, get envision horrible, horrible futures, and at the same time uh, feel intellectual, which is like the most insidious form of media as far as I'm concerned. So I made this radio show where I would invite guests on and they would like bring a song that made them envision different futures or like this idea of peace because peace is I, I, totally a shitty word that's completely loaded, but all it, for, for me, peace is just a word that allows you to meditate on the idea of the future and what that means and the possibility of a more complicated or not to be redundant, peaceful future. It's like an, it's like a mystical word because it's purely conceptual and peace is not tangible. Peace does not mean anything. Peace is truly just a concept. Um, so I started that radio show as a response to like the ever pervasive dystopian media that was like constantly being produced or like man in the high castle. Um, Philip K. Dick also is a sci-fi writer that is completely misunderstood and he does have dystopian narratives, but I don't think that they're fundamentally um, negative. However, uh, anyway, so, and in this quest, my best friends, Emily and Leah, uh, Emily Allen and Leah Hennessy were doing so much artwork about Star Trek. And I realized that like, I never got hip to Star Trek. Uh, so Me like, neither, by the way, yeah. me neither, because my brother said we were a Star Wars home and not a Star Trek home. And what I realized when I started Star Trek is I realized, wow, my even within my family, this masculinity drive towards um, these narratives of like a broken world and how do we survive yeah. is yeah. so pervasive that I yeah. was restrained from watching what my brothers, I think, perceived a like less hardcore, less true, more feminine vision, which is Gene Roddenberry's vision of like, what if there was a future where everyone was living out their full potential and any problem could be fixed with like teamwork? Like what if? And, and like negotiation. Well, that's the thing. Just again, to speed this up, uh, Star Trek, I think people are like averse to watching something like star trek because they assume it's going to be like star wars because like personally i fucking hate star wars i stand by that i think it's fucking boring because it's a war movie i don't like war movies why would i watch a war movie in space anyway so then i just assumed like oh star trek's just going to be like this war space shit and it's fundamentally not star trek is about humans and other evolved humanoid species and alien species on a 
starship called the Enterprise. Oh, well, not, not the Enterprise. It's not always called the Enterprise. But um, they're on this. They're part of the... Um, the what? Oh my God! What is it called? Edit this out. Federation. Yes, yes. The star, the Starfleet Federation, right? Which is about well, they're in the Federation, and they're in they're the in the, they're in the right, they're in the Starfleet. Okay, and the the only purpose of of these spaceships roaming around with these like eclectic, diverse crews <laughs> is to just gain information and help other life forms in the universe. So we all just protect each other. And the, the craziest thing is like, there's always a captain, like classically captain Kirk. And then like Spock is his like second in command mm. or in the enterprise, which is my favorite rendition of Star Trek. And is the, the and it, and, and, yeah, the next generation, which is like the gateway drug into Star Trek, um, is like Captain Picard and Rikers. But these captains are not, they're like, these captains are like philosophical negotiators. They are not true captains. They are not the heroes, even though they are the captains. And it's really about working together. And the most stunning thing was like, there's episodes of Star Trek when I first started watching it. And I was like, oh my God. Like I just started watching it and I was like, oh my God, this is, this is so beautiful. Um, they, uh, when another alien life form or an or even other humanoids in space are trying to attack the starship enterprise they negotiate they don't it's like last 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 resort to engage the lasers yes they like don't want to shoot anybody because they know that that's like base and barbaric and this whole conversation is not uh is like this future of the human species happened because they often reference like how the world disintegrated into chaos um, and how uh, they evolved past it and they evolved into uh, yeah, peace purveyors essentially. Um, yes. And that's the craziest thing. Like the first episode of the enterprise uh, franchise or the enterprise series the next generation of next generation yeah right next generation uh not enterprise right next generation uh is like the first episode is about them going back in time to when there was like sort of like a fascist uh rule um and there's like this crazy character that comes in and out of star trek called q who's a non interdimensional um energy force that sometimes takes the form of this like very crazy fey actor he's like a trickster god yeah. <laughs> yeah he's like a trickster god and um Q's the fucking coolest and is the best um but yeah I don't know Star Trek is just for the past like three years it's what I watch at late at night when I'm stressed out um, it's like entertaining and it's also fundamentally not entertaining. It's like fully philosophical, but at the same time, completely baby world and soothing. There's like something about Star Trek that's like 
it is the opportunity for us to look to the future and be like, oh my God, like humanity exists. And like, we have the potential to like continue and like help. And it's just like, it's the only, um, it's the only optim. It's the only truly uh, not. I wouldn't say optimistic, but it's like the only true story that. It's the most complex vision of the future I've seen ever. Because, because it every, affirms possibility. Yes, because it affirms possibility exactly. Because like every other sci-fi future is so stupidly horrible, and it's oh. like it's like yeah, dystopian futures are incredibly easy to imagine. <laughs> Yeah, but The like, Road with Cormac McCarthy, which yeah. was told to me, this is the truest literature, literature. And I remember reading it at 18. I was reading it on the beach and I just thought, why am I doing this? What, what is so remarkable about a future where there's schmutz in the sky and everyone is dead? And then when this started and I'm hearing about how our hospitals like don't have supplies, period. Right. Right. And then I'm watching Star Trek. And what's amazing about Star Trek is every episode, whatever needs to be figured out, they figure it out. So we need this like device that will allow us to travel back in time. Oh, let's do this, this and this. We got it. Or like, how are we going to get all our species to be in a, a spaceship together and we can all understand each other? We will develop a translating software that will allow for interspecies commu- like. There's this sense that, like, anything we can do, we will do, rather than, like, oh, um, like, society failed and we don't have enough and that's that. Like, there's this major shift into abundance thinking that I think is so – if I didn't have Star Trek right now, like, it really, really has helped me get through this. Yeah, and it's totally, like, meditative. Again, like, I primarily watch Star Trek – I think I only watch Star Trek at night. Mm. I only watch Star Trek like before bed. I fall asleep to Star Trek. That's like what I do. Um, Mm. I, or like really early in the morning, if I wake up way too early, I watch Star Trek. It's like, it's, it's like a, it's like Mm. a, it's like a nice, it's like meditative. I don't know what to say. It's just like, it's, it's equally, it's just like, oh, this is good for me. Um, Cause it calms. It's just all, all, everything that I feel about Star Trek is positive, positive and like such a profound way. And it's, uh, it's not martial. There's nothing like worry about. There's just no war. There's no. Oh, well, war. When there is war, it's not good. So whenever there's like the reason of the movies, there's no hero and the captain has to take a passive role. The reason the movies don't work is because they have to force a sort of like bellicose conflict. Totally. Because that's how movies are. And Star Trek is so not that. It is so not that. And that's when I was like, I started watching the movies too, like maybe in the past year. And I was like, ew, these fucking suck. These are so boring. It's literally war. It's like this not be less Star Trek world. Like there is no moment when like a person in Star Trek is like, dying and it's like oh my god they died for this cause it's like 
death is natural. Death is something to mourn. But there's no like here. There's no hero narrative. I think fundamentally, there's no hero narrative of Star Trek. It's it's about people relating to each other and like navigating, like learning. It's like really about like navigating how to learn about stuff. It's so fucking cool. I'm. It's the only cool thing. It's the only cool yeah. thing. It it's is. The only cool thing. Famously, you did say this to me, which I always think about. I don't know why we were talking about Zachary Kinto, and you were like, the thing with Zachary Kinto is that at one point he played Spock, and that is cool. And I was like, that is actually an argument. It is you, literally. It is cool. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, it's like, I can't even get into, like, Spock shit is so intense. Spock shit is so <laughs> so intense and i don't even like know i don't even know like a 10 i know 10 percent about spock shit spock is a spock is a consciousness unto itself that is like mm. there's a lot of spock feelings that i'm like navigating now <laughs> that, is, like, <laughs> that i'm like learning about now and that's um, uh, that's something that's something I the one last thing I wanted to mention really quickly is that I watched Marie Antoinette this weekend. Oh my god, that's so crazy! I watched it last night. I it hit me harder than it ever has. Yeah, me too. It really. I'm so sorry, I'm like not funny at all. This to me is actually like one of my favorite. Okay, I'm just so (laughs) sorry to anyone who's listening who's like, I thought she was fun. Well, this I'm is like, the I most like fun such I've ever had. Fucking psycho, per- whatever. I'm, I'm just so sorry. This is what quarantine's doing to me. It's like making me think. It's, I've never been happier. Okay, <laughs> it's making me contemplate. Um, I'm so sorry that I'm not like uh being funny, but um, yeah. Anyway, that's a that's get off it yeah whatever that's what i say to everybody get the fuck off it (laughs) (laughs) anyway uh yeah marie antoinette here we go what i loved what i loved about and we don't have to like belabor this because no 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 what i loved is there's i literally just finished watching this okay cool i watched it yesterday yeah i've been thinking about the wheel of fortune and the tarot a lot and about how like this life and this moment is literally just like we are on a wheel of fortune. We have no control. And Marie Antoinette, like Kirsten Dunst is so amazing. Cause it's like, they bring her to the palace and she's rich and they love her. Then they hate her. Then they want her head. Then she's on the carriage leaving. And all she can really do is like be present and enjoy it. But like See, she means, has no, yeah. nothing she can do. Yeah. There's nothing she can do. That was what was really stunning about, watching Marie Antoinette last night. It was, it was, uh, I live with Peter Smith and Peter watches it often. So as like a late night sedative moment. And so last night I was watching it with them and, um, it's so, it was such a transformative film for me when it came out. And Mm -hmm. I, uh, but I was so uh, nauseated by her, this watch. Mm. And I haven't seen it in years. But I was so – because I know it's built – the story is built for you to feel what you just said, I think. The movie is built to 
make you understand that Marie Antoinette was completely cloistered and had no perspective and didn't understand what she was doing and had fair intentions, but was living such a cloistered, literally quarantined life that she had no perspective of what damage she was doing, which I think probably is correct historically. And I think there's understandably Sophia Coppola, like it girl of all time would have that take. But for some reason I was like, this character reminds me of so many people in New York. I was so heinously upset with myself for like ever having a vision of myself like this being like, Oh my God, like being fabulous. Like the idea of fabulousness is so (laughs) fucking nasty. And I was like, Oh my God, this is a horror show. Just like how, like, I was just like so nauseated by the Marie Antoinette character last night. And I was like, trying really grappling with so many feelings. And I was like trying to figure it out while I was watching it with Peter, like, and they were like falling asleep. And I was just like, oh my God. Like, I was like, it's very Gigi. Well, it's, it's not. I don't think it's Gigi in the sense that it's like, there's like no. I just don't know if like we're supposed to I it, it I don't know if there like is that much like humiliation of the character. Mm. Like of Marie Antoinette like okay. she's just like constantly fabulous and beautiful and like she seems right, like really frivolous and like sort of clueless but you have a compassion for her cluelessness because it's like yeah what what the fuck else is she supposed to do? But that's the that's the tragedy of it. And like just like before COVID and like after COVID probably, you know, like this idea of this, like this helplessness, like depression and this helplessness and this pressure uh, that Marie Antoinette, you see her experience, all of that um, pushing her into these like deranged fucking spending habits uh I see that all the time, this fabulousness of like, <laughs> like, yeah, like, like just this, just this, like, I know it's bad, but, oh, uh, you know, like <laughs> the, the classic of like, I just want it. Like, it's like, that is so fucking, vi- for some reason, I was like this, I'm like, I don't need to, um, engage with this anymore or something. there is something and like a, I'm a, you know like I'm sure you know like the only thing I want to do is get like a discounted room at the plaza you know what I mean like it's like the only thing I'm looking forward to and this is honest this is me talking honestly is like the only thing I want to do is like go to Italy on a cheap ticket like obviously but it just like made me look at like how psychotic like fabulousness is and I'm just like oh my god like it just made me so angry at myself watching Rantonette was just like oh my god this is so embarrassing like it's interesting you bring up the plaza yeah I thought of the plaza the scene when they go to the fabulous masquerade ball and she looks Mm -hmm. incredible that I literally got chills because 
I worked the Tonys this year and after the Tonys, the after party was at the Plaza. Mm -hmm. And I remember it was the exact same feeling where I was like, this is Gotham city. And if the penguin doesn't come in here and bomb this place and kill these rich people who are eating like pedophores served by people by like servants, I don't know where I am. And there is that aspect, like, I get what you're saying because there is this like hideous. <laughs> it just felt like really insidious and hideous. Not saying like, again, like I'm not saying like the answer to this feeling I had is like to bomb the plaza. Like I don't want that to happen, but I'm just trying to like look at it just like made me really look at those instincts. And then I was also like, <laughs> LOL, like how the fuck did, <laughs> this is like a serious question, but it's like, how the fuck did they like just capture the queen, king and queen in England, in <laughs> France? It's just like, wait, that like happened. Like the last few scenes are so genius. of yes. Jeanette, While they're like, the villagers are storming Versailles, they're outside, they're rioting, they're just like waiting for the demise. And like she stands by her husband like valiantly or whatever. And then it's just like, oh, you suddenly remember like, oh, I remember how this fucking ends, this story ends. It ends with her being guillotined. And like, yeah. it's like, oh my God, like that's so crazy. And that how hit that me harder. Happen? That yeah, hit me hardest hit this time yeah, 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 because I think what we're all going through in this moment is like nothing we have is secure. And like, yeah. it's okay to, to delude ourselves into thinking that we have security, but we don't. And she had a million servants, a whole army, a million guards. It didn't matter. Yeah. It really did. Like no one could, you know, whatever's coming for her comes and she is the one who's like, all right. Okay. At least in this version. That's what I loved about it. Is Kirsten Dunst is like, okay, great. Yeah, I mean, I don't think she has another... Yeah, she just doesn't have another choice. She just has... But no she one. recognizes that. I think a lot of us, especially in our culture, again, going back to why we need to look to the British, the British, right. I feel like, are really good at saying, <laughs> what, like, okay. And, and right. you know, I remember... I went, I was in Tel Aviv in 2014. It was a few months after a war. And I was talking with a friend of mine who runs a party and he was like, oh yeah, we just, you know, there were bombs and sirens for six months. So we stopped going out and that was that. And now we're going out again and that's fine too. And I remember just being like, oh, okay, there's, it's just a continuum. It's not this like, what's going to happen. No, of course there's the panic and the what's going to happen, but there's more of a sense of like, you just deal with what's happening as it's happening. Yeah. And I just think like, yeah, I don't know the, I think that's like, that's all you can do really. Yeah. You, it's all you can do. Um, um, but yeah. This, is my, yeah. this is my favorite episode I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> We covered a lot, a lot of ground. We yeah, covered through time and space. Through time and space. I'm so sorry I wasn't. No, I should be thanking you. Literally 
cracking ass soap. You were. You <laughs> whipped it. You whipped it. Oh my god. Whipped it yeah, good. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode of The Luminaries, let me know. Give me a five star rating on iTunes. Write a glowing encomium. Share it on your Instagram stories. Email it to your Aunt Joan and help make this series bigger and better with every episode. Thank you for listening and let's grow together. See you next Tuesday. Bye-bye. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.